So I felt like a lot of people, and I still feel a lot of people are living lies, lies towards themselves, trying to live a life that is supposedly normal, but is making them unhappy. This is Chris Reynolds, and welcome to the Entrepreneur House podcast. The Entrepreneur House is a business accelerator for entrepreneurs creating events and retreats all over the world. Picture yourself with other high-level entrepreneurs in the northern mountains of Thailand, October 26, 2017. It will be full of masterminds, workshops, advisors, like-minded entrepreneurs, and of course, some fun adventure. If you're ready to take your business to the next level with other successful entrepreneurs, be sure to contact us ASAP at theentrepreneurhouse.com. And now, on to today's episode. What are the pictures in your mind that come up when you think of traveling the world with children? Most people think of the challenges, the fears, the lack of support, and the money. Of course, you'd need to be very rich to make this happen, right? Our guest today has been traveling the world almost nonstop with his wife for nearly 20 years, and everywhere they go, their kids come along. And guess what? They don't just have one or two kids, not three or four. They have six. Yes, six. They are one of the few truly nomadic, location-independent entrepreneurs of the world that travel long-term as a family without a home base. On top of that, they are very successful in business, but they didn't start out that way. They started out as poor backpackers in their early years, trying to get by while traveling the world, and they forged a life of their own even when the world told them they were wrong. Now, people can't wait to ask them how they did it. They are the Sundance family, and today the father, Ka Sundance, joins us from Slovakia to share about how he and his wife, Katie, made this dream a reality. Welcome, Ka, to the podcast. How are you today? Hi, Chris. I'm so pleased to be here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. We're very honored to have you, my friend. And tell the listeners where you're calling in from. Uh, right now, we just arrived yesterday in Slovakia, Bratislava, um, after we spent like the last like two weeks or something in a remote cottage in the mountains of Austria. Beautiful view, very remote. And now we're in Slovakia. We're going to stay 10 days here because we found some very cheap, good flights, especially good flights and um, like, a, you know, no, no stopover to Ireland where we're going to be meeting some friends. Um, stay there two weeks, and then I'll be heading off to Germany to do some media stuff in, in Germany. And so it goes on. Then Utah next, and after that, Costa Rica to spend the rest of the year in Costa Rica. <laughs> and you have the kids with you, right? Uh, always. Yeah, yeah. We do this together as a family with the, with the six kids. Um, yes, we, that's our, our thing to do it always together as a family. I'm sure the listeners are going to be amazed by um, your lifestyle and how you guys manage everything. And we want to get into the details of that for sure. But again, thank you so much for joining us. We're honored to have you. And I'd like to kind of get into your story of how you became the entrepreneur that you are today. And I was watching some of your YouTube videos this morning and kind of getting behind the scenes and you had some amazing adventures before the kids, right? And then um, right. the kids started coming around and you decided to continue this nomadic traveling life. So if you don't mind, I'd just like to give you the mic and if you could share for a few minutes, you know, how you guys and your wife is Katie, correct? Is that Yes, that's right. Yeah. Okay. And how you and Katie got your start and how you became the entrepreneurs that you are today? Well, yeah. Um, so I started traveling, you know, the passion for traveling, um, the buck I received rather early when I was a little boy, boy already with six, seven years old, I decided that I wanted to become or uh, to, to do lots of traveling in my life. But then obviously I went to school and went through high school. And um, but the first thing after I graduated from high school was that I went um, uh, all by myself in 1995 that was to Costa Rica. 
And I was like doing two months traveling through Costa Rica all by myself, which which was like an awakening almost to be finally freed from the restraint of the school system and any system and just be by myself. And um, I realized, man, this is it. This is what I would like to do more of in my life. And then um, I had to go back to Germany and do my civil service. Back in the day, you had to do civil service or go to the army. I was doing some civil service. Um, um, and uh, right, but right after the service, I did a plan for a long extended world travel, 1997 that was. And in the first week of leaving Germany and going to New Zealand, that was my first destination, I met this beautiful long, young 18-year-old um, girl from Stuttgart, Germany, um, which, is, it's, as it so happened, just is like 30 minutes away from where I lived in Germany. All around the world, I met this uh, lady, and her name was Katie, and, um, you know, we traveled together for a week. Then our paths separated, um, and she had to go back to Germany, um, and I made the promise when I will be going back to Germany, I'm going to be meeting, seeing her again. And so I did half a year later, I, I went back to Germany and I met her. And since that day, we are um, a couple. We, you know, we, we, we became, um, you know, man and wife, if you will. So and um, now some years later, you know, we have six children together and we are still together and still traveling the world. And um, our entrepreneurial life after, you know, we became a couple started really not before we already had uh, three kids in the year 2008, 2009, that was. We had three kids. We were in a really dark place in our life. We, um, you know, I, I'm a carpenter. I just made an apprenticeship as a carpenter because it also allowed me to travel as a, as a builder traveling all around the world. And... Um, but, uh, you know, with three kids, if you are in construction, you have to work really hard in a lot of hours and still you, you're never going to become wealthy by any means. So we were basically stuck on social benefits. So we had to apply for additional support from the government while I was working, you know, in my nine to five or nine to seven um, um, work uh, um, as a carpenter. And we were so desperate. I said, "Man, this is this this can't be our life." Because there also there was no perspective that this ever would if, would change, if I would just would stick, you know, to construction. And um, you know, this realization, alongside with my true passion, and that was natural health, because you have to see. As on a, on a side note, also our second son, he used to be very sick. He had like chronic asthma. And I would die, diagnose by doctors that it would be chronic and there would there was nothing we could do about it. That's what the doctors told us after we went to, to so many of them. And we just realized, man, this is also something we cannot ex um, um, accept. That's we are not willing to settle for a life, you know, always, um, you know, being threatened by death, literally, because he was choking every night and uh, and throwing up because he was such so much slime, you know. Wow. So, so. But then, out of desperation, we just um, changed our diet, and we just did let go of, of um, any gluten, so no more bread and pasta, or at least not with gluten, um, no, um, no um, meat, no white refined sugar, and basically a really simple, natural diet. We, we transformed to lots of raw foods and vegan, and within several days, all the symptoms um, disappeared, and they never returned back. Wow, and we were so relieved. Yeah, we were so relieved that um, we we just I just felt, man, this is something I would like to share with other parents who also you know suffer from you know different diseases with their children or in in the, within their family, 
And so I just grabbed my camera, I went on YouTube and I started sharing videos about natural health and how to eat healthy and avoid like junk food and also a little mind mindset, um, you know, inspiration. This is how I got started on YouTube 2008, 2009. And then I was, as I was doing it really genuine and from the heart and I, I really wanted just to help and, you know, be the guy who, who, who just helping and sharing. We rather quickly um, gathered followers and, you know, fans and subscribers. I also did a little like a uh, YouTube summit where I was interviewing, you know, some health leaders at the time in 2009, which gave us really a boost to, to put ourselves on the map. But with that came also a lot of questions from our folks in our tribe. And they always ask us about recipes. And what do you eat? What does it mean? Raw foods and vegan with kids. How, what do you eat? How, how do you, you know, um, um, get your kids excited about eating this kind of diet and after the hundredth comment or something we just decided well if everybody's asking us about recipes i put up also recipe videos and people love the recipe videos we decided to just put our best recipes together in a little ebook you know where we you know put our best recipes in and we put this online no knowledge about marketing or about how to position this or whatever you know branding or something but um people were buying this ebook and um, on a daily base, pretty much. And we, we generated an income of like several hundred dollars a month, really little income, but it was some income. And if you come from social benefits, you know, <laughs> just having like three, four, five hundred bucks a month seems like a fortune, um, you know, um, and especially knowing how cheap life could be in the tropics. And so this gave us confidence to just, buy, you know, sell our car. And with that, we, we were, you know, we were broke. We had like lots of depth at this point of time. But we sold our car and like bought, it exactly bought us one-way tickets to Costa Rica. And so, you know, we, with nothing, with not, nothing more equipped than a little faith and some trust, we just left um, Europe and the social security system that was still supporting us back in the day and left on a one-way ticket to Costa Rica. We didn't know where to sleep. We didn't have a job. We didn't have any savings, you know, rather $20,000 of depth. But we went to Costa Rica with this very, very tiny, small business. And um, we just said, we're going to make this work. This is this is our future. This is, I feel so passionate about, or we both, Katie and I, we felt so pas passionate about helping parents and families. So this is what we did. And then we landed in Costa Rica. And surely not, you know, not long after we landed in Costa Rica, slowly the questions from our online community that kept on growing was, were changing. They no longer ask us so much about, you know, how to get proteins on a, on a vegan diet and, you know, how, you know, how to make, you know, delicious green juices or whatever. Then they ask us, man, we just heard you went to Costa Rica and you, you know, you're selling ebooks. This is how you make a living. <laughs> man, this is amazing. How do you do this? Can you show me? I want to, I want to do the same. You know, I, I, can you show me? I pay you. I pay, can you show me? So now, you know, this took me a little while longer to accept that people were seeing all of a sudden like a business professional in, in me because I didn't feel like one. You know, it was a very small business. I didn't also had any experience in this. We just started this very frequent, you know, very recently. And I was more confident about my raw food thing and in the, you know, the, the dietarian thing because we were doing it for years already, you know, the, the, the vegan diet and the raw food diet. Um, but the people didn't stop asking me about it and also throwing money in my direction. And so, you know, after, you know, maybe half a year or a little bit longer, I just accepted and I, I started coaching people on business, on the little things I knew about business. And um, 
I did this for several years in Costa Rica, you know, and um, I kept on investing. I kept on educating myself. I invested in coaches myself. And, and you know, I was also, I'm still very passionate about um, an ethical online marketing approach, you know, how to, how to share a message you believe in and turn this into a business. I'm very passionate about this. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the business grew slowly but steady. It grew up to the moment when I realized, man, um, there is a system. There's a system forming uh, right before my eyes while I'm coaching all those people through Skype sessions and telephone. And, you know, um, a system how I, I approach business or help people to create their own business and, you know, um, create digital products and sell them. And when I realized this, alongside with realizing that I also not as passionate anymore, teaching the same principles over and over and over again through the telephone, I just recorded the system that emerged out of me just doing this. I just put this into like an uh, like a video video modules and created an online course, which was the birth of our online business school. And we put this thing online and that was a great leverage because I didn't have to like trade my time anymore with people on the phone. We could do it a little cheaper. And basically, this was our million dollar business idea. Um, starting from, you know, a raw food guide um, uh, selling um, recipes to become a, um, a business coach, a consultant. Quite an interesting ride. I didn't plan for this, but this is still what I do to this day. I teach business for heart-based people, and um, we have just been growing ever since. And now we have 500,000 fans on Facebook, a million-dollar business, <laughs> a location independent. And I'm amazed always when I share the story how I got here. <laughs> but here I am. <laughs> I think everybody's amazed. Thank you for sharing that. Okay, so let's let's rewind a bit, and I want to chat about you basically started to become nomadic when you were 19. Is that correct? Yeah, well, I I was even in high school. I was always like we, in Germany, we have like almost two months of summer vacation. So uh-huh. even when I was like 17 for the first time, I was just basically hitchhiking through Europe two months oh, wow. in summertime. So I don't know, every spare second I was not in school, I was already, you know, traveling or being away from home and just, you know, um, getting to know Europe. So I would think I w- it would feel more fair to say I was started traveling when I was 17 or 18. But, you know, who counts? It's just a year longer. <laughs> more, more than two decades of, of traveling it is now. So in one of your YouTube videos that I was watching, and I thought it was, it was very interesting and courageous, too, that when you guys were traveling, you actually found out that Katie was pregnant while you were in South America. And you had to yeah. make the phone calls back home to tell the parents. Yeah. Now, the first initial response is, you know, obviously from the family is like, okay, come home. Um, and from a lot of people would be like, okay, now it's time to go back home and start our lives. But you and Katie decided to keep traveling. And so I'm kind of curious, like why you decided to make that decision. And then where I did, I didn't find this out where you actually had your first baby at. Yeah. Well, honestly, you know, again, Katie and I, we met traveling in 1997 and we got pregnant. It was 2000. It was three years later. So we met as a world traveling, you know, um, souls already. So that was, a, you know, the base, the foundation of our relationship was, you know, was laid in New Zealand across all around the world from Germany. And we always said, if we're going to stay together, we want to, you know, show what we are so passionate about and what we also we we, have, we were allowed to grow so much as persons and as a couple that we want to show this to our children. So to us, it was really never the question that seems to be normal to l- most people who just live, 
um, in one place their entire life. That then, like you said, you have to start the life or something. You just said, you know, I, I this this does not resonate with us in any ways. You know, why would I start? We already were living before we got pregnant, so there was we, we this was for us this was not really a change um, or it was def a defining change in our lifestyle in regards to traveling or not. It was a much bigger change because we, you know, I, we were young. We were into partying. We were into drinking. I was into smoking pot and. You know, uh, partying, and I was singer of a rock and roll band, so I was defined by a rock and roll, you know, um, lifestyle back in the day. This is what what was very important to us. We were, you know, we were every weekend we were out dancing in clubs and stuff, and you know, taking drugs, and so that was the bigger change because this immediately changed when we got pregnant. We both and me including, I decided with Katie we're gonna stop all drugs, smoking, you know, for good. And we did this was this was the big change was like transforming our lifestyle into being more healthy and, you know, rather than settling down. So um, and but we still decided this first baby, we were also not as secure as we are right now. We decided to go back home to Germany and have the baby in Germany. Mm -hmm. We just didn't feel like we had to go right away while we discovered being pregnant. We realized, man, we could travel. So, you know, it's like nine or ten months till the baby comes out. <laughs> so we decided, well, we can, you know, continue this for a couple of months and then, you know, go home in the fifth or sixth months of pregnancy. That's enough. And also we realized we needed that time. It was very good that we did not come home earlier because we were so young when we had our first child and everybody, we, you know, and not our parents only, but also our friends and like everybody, you know, had all these images in their heads and wanted to help and support us with guidance and 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 were polluting us with so much advice <laughs> that was not in alignment with what we believed what would be the right thing for us as a young couple just becoming a family. So it was really good that we had some months just to ourselves in Peru and in you know we were in Bali and in Australia just to figure out what parenthood would mean for us as a couple was very good because we came home and we had already made up our mind in 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 very basic uh, or fundamental questions about what we want and what we would not want and uh, so we were not so easy um being manipulated by our you know parents and our surrounding and so we had our first baby in germany to answer your question okay and then how long did you guys stay in germany after the first baby before you started traveling again yeah, this was the longest part in our life, actually, where we really tried to become normal. Because even though we, again, we we had some t months for ourselves, and you know, um, and making very clear what we want and what not, we still felt, you know, to, exhausted by being so different. And you know, we always were so different in our approach towards life, in our quest to search and maintain and find happiness, and not just security. Lots of people just, you know, look for security, especially when they become parents and they um, give up their hopes, their dreams and their happiness for this. It's a big price. Lots of people pay for um, for the illusion of security. And, you know, but again, it is very exhausting to to swim against the current here. So we um, were going in a rental house we, 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 uh, with friends. Even we had even the second baby. And it took the second baby to become a year, to have become a year, and when we, you know, did our first big world travel with two kids, and that was in 2004, 2005. So we settled down for like, like almost like three years. We went home 2001, and we left again in 2004, 2005. So it was three, three and a half years in Germany, 
until we did. And that was really a very liberating thing to do. The first thing really with like two toddlers, no money um, going on an extended world travel uh, open end. Are you enjoying today's episode? I hope so. We're working hard to pick the minds of higher level entrepreneurs to bring you some applicable tactics for your business. October 26th, we will have our most impactful event ever. The experience includes workshops, masterminds, advisors, high-speed Wi-Fi, and a beautiful resort complex. So if you're ready to seriously take your business to the next level, contact us at theentrepreneurhouse.com. And now back to the show. And how did your family feel about you leaving, you know, home, you had been there three years and you, now you were taking the kids and going traveling again? What, what were some of the things your family and friends were saying? Yeah, I think this part in our life was possibly the biggest struggle, especially for our families, because, you know, maybe some people listening right now can relate. Um, if you are different, but you still like try to blend in to fit in a lot of people in your surrounding, they hope you know, you know, they hope something, you know, expressing in, in, in the, these words, hope something like, oh, man, they're they going to wake up or, or they're not they're not serious about this. Right. They're just talking, but they're not going to be doing it. So they hope that we're going to just give up on, you know, what we were saying we would do. And um, when we really bought the plane tickets, this is really when they realized, man, those guys are serious. <laughs> My God. <laughs> So and they they were of course they were um, and I can understand also because you have to see we were on benefits we were poor there we, we had no money I didn't had like any jobs abroad or something we were basically buying plane tickets with our last money we actually we had to borrow money to buy plane tickets to go you know <laughs> to to um to Southeast Asia and then keep on traveling to to Australia and New Zealand and we had no money. And, um, you know, there was an open end. We didn't have a return ticket, like, locked in on dates. So they were really desperate. They were thinking we were crazy. And they were suffering. My mom really, she was so unhappy. And so she was suffering. And I, I, I was really making it hard for her, I guess, in these early years. Um, it was very difficult, man. There were lots of arguing and fighting and tears and this was we we were not easy in our family but then on the other hand again i can understand i i understand that they couldn't understand but then on the other hand it was still the right thing to do if you would have tried to continue to blend in and to fit in i would have become one of those zombies you see by the millions in germany and in, in other western countries that you know like surrendered and gave up all their hopes and dreams just in order to fit in and become a very unhappy individual passing on this toxic lifestyle to their children and that was a commitment i made very early in my life this is not going to be me so it was still the right thing and in the long run it turned out really well now my parents are so proud and everything but these were the (laughs) difficult years these were the difficult years yes so i'd like to go back to that moment when it was you know there's so much stress you know you're getting you're feeling the emotional stress from your parents, your your mother, you're arguing. I mean, mm. it's you and Katie and two kids. And, you know, there's probably a part of you that think that's thinking that you're crazy, but that you know that you really <laughs> want this life. So yeah. what was the driving factor in, in when talking with you and Katie, the motivator yeah. That, yeah. Said, that said, okay, we, it doesn't matter anymore. We still need to borrow whatever money we can find and buy these tickets. What, what inspired you to do that? These are good, really good questions, Chris. This is, this going deep somehow. <laughs> um, no, I like it. Um, um, 
I think it was really truly the realization that we try we tried the normal life. We desperate almost desperately tried the normal life, getting you know the job and the house and like you know and uh, you know putting a new collar in the, on the wall in the living room and you know we, we tried all of this and we you know and we tried desperately and we just realized realized both of us this ain't gonna make us happy. Yeah. And I think this is the bottom line. It's like this is not the, what everybody's doing. It's it's not working for us. And we also, frankly, just were very honest to ourselves, seeing that this life a lot of people are living is not making lots of those people, at least, happy as well. So I felt like a lot of people, and I still feel a lot of people are living lies, lies towards themselves, trying to live a life that is supposedly normal, but is making them unhappy. And I saw that I saw myself surrounded by those people. Not every I don't say every. Some people are really happy with this, and that's fine. But you know, more than fifty percent of all Germans are unhappy with their jobs. That means like one out of two people is hating their you know their job, what they do every day, eight hours a day, every living moment. So I, I always felt, man, this is not acceptable. And what and this is you know going to this point now, whatever it costs. Whatever the means, what you know, it, it doesn't matter. It shouldn't matter, and it doesn't matter for us. We have to find a different way. And as we also, maybe also a lot of people listening right now can can relate. If you're brought up in one surrounding, in one place, and you know, for us it was Germany. This is where I come from. It's so hard to find alternatives if you're just surrounded by people you have been surrounded by your entire life. And I'm a I'm a I'm a, I'm a, a little town boy. You know, I come from the. I'm not a big city. Yeah, I wasn't growing up in a big city. It's more in a conservative southern Germany, a very conservative area. And there were not a lot of alternative people or lifestyle design options. You know, it's very conservative. And I didn't see anything that was inspiring or I felt like drawn to or I felt like that could be a solution I could go after. There was nothing. And so it always, this is why I started traveling, is basically to just, you know, get away from something that didn't feel right but not being able to see any alternative. And it was always very liberating and opening up my mind and seeing different approaches and also seeing myself in a different light, which is possibly the most important thing, seeing myself in different lights when I was away traveling. And I think this was making the decision that we couldn't see an alternative, we were not happy. And by just, you know, by, by going into a different culture, different, different everything, we could just breathe, we could breathe and see different, you know, also, you know, in Southeast Asia, people have a totally different approach on how to tackle their life, how to solve problems, how to go about their everyday life, very different. And I always felt this was so inspiring. And so, you know, putting things into a greater picture and a better perspective. And this is what we were after to just find a different, uh, you know, a different way of life, lifestyle, basically. So we went. So I imagine you and Katie have a, a different a definition of what security and stability looks like for your family. And I'm curious if you could share, you know, we all know society's definition of stability <laughs> and security. I'm curious if uh, what you can share, um, what your version of that is and how you define that. Well, first, uh, there is still, a, you know, we are both on the far end, Katie and I, but even Katie and I, we're not 100% on one page Katie always felt like a millionaire or always felt totally secure. She, she, she doesn't know fear, at least not financial fear or security fear. She's crazy in that regards and uh, <laughs> the biggest inspiration in my life because 
maybe also I realize that very often it's more the male position in a family, like the husband, the provider, the guy who brings security, the rock in the family. That's what they you know always call us husbands. Right. Right. So so I feel like very often the the men are more worried about you know um, the financial security and stuff. And so it was with us as well. So I seem to co- I might come across like a crazy. Uh, um, you know, dude who, who can travel and let go of everything. I am compared to a lot of people in the Western world, but not in comparison to Katie. She always, <laughs> she even we had no money at all. You know, literally, we had several times in our life we had not like ten cents in our pockets and didn't know where the next money would come from. She never was worried, worried just a slight single bit about that fact. Uh, she always knew. Well, we're gonna find a solution. Don't you worry. And I was more the worrying, you know, more than Katie at least. So just to make sure that there's a slight difference between Katie and me. <laughs> um, it has become, of course, much better now as we have financial security. <laughs> we don't have to worry about money anymore. But um, in the early years, this, there was still some arguing between the two of us because I was more, would have made more decisions based out of fear. And she would have never done that. So, but if we compare ourselves to the normal Joe, average Joe out there, um, I say lots of security, you know, it seems like a lot of people define a secure place by having a, a muddy hill, a, a muddy place somewhere, and you have like four concrete walls connected with each other, and you sit yourself into those concrete walls somewhere on a, on a mud field, and then you tell yourself, oh, this is security now. It's, yeah. uh, it's a house. And, you know, if you put it in those words, it, it, it really just put it in a different light to me. Like, it's like it's just four concrete walls somewhere, you know, in, in the, on a mountain or, you know, close to a river or whatever. You know, it doesn't mean to me that means nothing because in my feeling, you know, again, we just arrived yesterday in this totally new house. It's a big villa here in, in, in Slovakia and it's our home now. You know, it takes literally it takes us like an hour to make ourselves home somewhere. I just put my toothbrush in the bathroom and. You know, I don't know some superfoods in the on the shelf in the kitchen, and boom, you know that's my home basically. <laughs> so it it goes really quick for us, and I feel to a lot of people who travel can subscribe to this. If you go in a hotel, even a hotel room, you can become very quick. It feels like home. So I don't have to spend like ten years or even ten days, you know, someplace to to call it home. So we don't put this on a location, on a specific location. To me, home, and this is maybe the simplest and most fundamental way to put it, home, like like the saying, home is where your heart is. Right. And my heart is with the family. So every you know, where my family is, this is where my home is. And this is where I also feel secure, if you will. So I, I don't have this definition of security anyways, because to me, it's a big illusion. There is not really security, in this, especially not in the outer world. You cannot feel secure by, you know, having four concrete walls or having a million bucks on your bank account, not even with a machine gun under your pillow. You know, if you <laughs> see, you know nothing of this is going to give you any more sense of security. True right. security is coming from within. And the more you liberate yourself from possessions and from the things you believe you should own or you must have or whatever, all this is um, is like it's like a big prison, you know, more prison cells to put yourself in. So, it, you know, it's I don't know. Home is where your heart is. My family is home. And I'm not too much about um, buying into this concept that is sold everywhere in, on media that you need security, which is, again, a an, 99%, if not 100% of all cases, how it's sold to us. It's an illusion. It's not real. It's not helping. 
So I'd like to ask you a question because I've been nomadic six and a half years now. So one of the biggest challenges that I see with digital nomad location independent entrepreneurs is uh, establishing and maintaining long-term relationships. And so I'm curious how you and Katie work through your communication and your differences when things get tough. Yeah. Um, uh, One thing comes to my mind, there are not one, but there are three challenges being a digital nomad family, especially as a family. I will name them and then I'm going to ask your question, answer your question. Number one is um, like relationships, especially to family, like mama, papa and, you know, your relatives back home. So that's one challenge. The second challenge is for us, as we are really a green alternative family, we love nature, is like gardening. You can't do any gardening. If I put some seeds in the ground, you know, until they, um, you know, bring fruits, we are three continents ahead, you know. And the third (laughs) thing is animals. We have small kids and they love like kittens and little doggies and, you know, rabbits and birds and whatever. You know, all those things, normal, in quotation marks, families have, we cannot really have. Um, We have like a dog in Costa Rica who is with our housekeeper who works for us now for, for several years. Um, but when we're there, we have the little doggy, but that's it. So these are three down, not just one, but three downsides. It's the only one I can really see, but there are still, you have to take them into consideration before planning to become a digital nomad for anybody listening right now. Um, so um, in regards to relationships, we have lots of, most of, actually almost all of our friends are world traveling families as well. We just came from Canada. We spent um, like a month ago, we, we've been in Canada. There was a summit. It was called the Family Adventure Summit. There were 200 families, world traveling families, um, location independent um, and just meeting with each other. And we have a tribe in Germany that do what you love, Two was to Leaps tribe in Germany. It's like, you know, like 13,000 people right now on, on Facebook. And we met last winter with 200 people from November till March. And in, in a remote island on Thailand, on Koh Phangan. And we spent like months and months and months together with like 200 people, 100 children, 100 adults as a social experiment, just spending time together. We visited Vietnam this year with like a family of friends of ours with four kids. We spent two months in Guatemala with like four families, 24 children. Um, and we're going to go to Utah next after Europe and meet again with our best friends, the Danning World School family. Um, they have seven children. The kids are best friends. We were in the Sahara Desert on camels riding with them, seeing castles in Germany, you know, um, splashing in the sandy shores of Costa Rica with them. So I make a point here. What I'm saying is that most of our friendships are also world traveling families. You know, to, this is our norm, normal life. It's like, you know, we have friends who also travel. Um but I think your question actually was now you asked this. This is how the question started. But then you were aiming for the relationship between Katie and me. So can you please rephrase this question that you ended with? Because I was not answering this one. Yeah. In the, in the hard times, how ah, yeah. do you yeah. and Katie communicate through your differences to get on the same page and keep going? <sighs> yeah. Well, you know, I, I'm together with Katie now for since 20 years, 1997. We met us a little bit over 20 years. We just celebrated our 20 year anniversary, six children. And not just this, you know, um, there is lots of room to disagree on educational matters. Yeah. But then we also run the businesses together. We have an international business in English and one in German. And we also run those businesses together where also lots of decisions. We have team, we have employees, you know, we have, you know, there's so many decisions to be made in the business. So what I'm saying, there is so much room for us to disagree. Disagree, and we do. 
So how do we deal with this? I think one thing that kept us going for so long is um, that we are brutally, honestly communicating. It's just about talking things through. You have to talk, you have to talk and communicate about things. Um, another point is, you know, that's the reason why I see so many marriages fail these days is that it's so easy these days for some reason to just give up. You just give up. You, you, you don't put effort in there anymore. And Katie and I, up to this day, you know, I don't know if this is going to go on forever. I plan for it, but I don't know. We wanted to make it work. So even if we have like, you know, main points, um, disagreements, we, we just sit down and we work it out as long as, you know, as it takes. And we, we find some compromise and we, we, we want to find a compromise. This, it's never an option to say, well, this is not working. You know, we can find common ground. So let's just leave it. That's we're going to continue working on things till we somehow find a compromise. And that means sometimes I get my way if it's very important to me. The house in Costa Rica, for example, it's not Katie is not to again. She, it's maybe a leftover from my poor days being on benefits and broke. And the house still somehow promises me some even more if I would even need that security or whatever. Katie's not into this. She She would love to have no house. So that's something where I, because it is really important to me and the kids also wouldn't want to have, you know, to experience this. So the house was one one of my things I pushed through. But then, you know, to, I don't know, then there are other things Katie is pushing through. So, so we, you know, we, we, locations, for example, she's very specific on where she wants to go. I'm not so, it's not so super important to me where we go. It's more her thing to decide and the kids thing. I don't have too much saying into this. So, you know, Everybody has its points that are important, and then you got you got to work it out by communicating, not stopping. Also, one thing is that we're always respectful, so there's no like swearing or something at each other. We never get violent, not even, of course, not physically, but not even really verbally. We don't, you know, use swear words in our family or get mean or something. So I rather, if if I see we can't we can't talk it through today, I rather say, well. You know, we disagree today, but please let's just sleep over it and continue tomorrow. There's we don't get there today. So if it's getting it's getting too hairy or too emotional, we just separate for the day and just continue the next day with the discussion. We we don't let it get you know the best of us by you know swearing at each other or something. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. This is this is this is my answer. We 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 want to make it work, and we don't disagree, we don't agree all of the time. But we're gonna work on each other, or you know we're gonna work on things till we find some compromise. I, I don't know how to put it more simply, but that's <laughs> the basic, basically it. <laughs> that's great. I'd like to ask you this question: What's your dream for your children? My my. Biggest, it's not a dream, but this is what I what is what I see right now. But I want to maintain what we've manifested so far. What I want for my kids is that they are happy. I don't care what kind of if they would even take on a job or what kind of job it is, and if, even if they become a garbage man or the milkman or whatever or whatever it is that they want to do, I want them to do it to become happy human beings. That's the the simplest way of putting it, and not. This is where, you know, we are also like unschoolers, world schoolers, so they don't go on as in a normal uh, traditional school system. And the base of this is that it's not me telling them what is right, what they should believe, what they should do with their life, but it's me rather stepping back and listening and not 
putting my belief system and forcing my belief system upon my children. So what I would want most for them, that they are in very good touch with their own self, with their soul, what their, what their life purpose is, what they want to be in this life, and just go for it. So to be very independent from what I believe to be right, um, that's, it's not important. I don't want copies of myself. I want them to be very unique and very individual and very special and be confident about it. And just 100% go for what it is that they want to do. And we have this right now already, but I would like to maintain this, that this is going on. <laughs> sure, it's not so, easy. Yeah, I want them to be happy. That's the it, most basic thing. And if you could give us a quick summary on, on how you guys do handle education with the kids. Well, this is so hard to put in in a quick words, but I, I tried to. So again, we we are not we are like in life. This is the same approach we have um, on the educational system. We do pretty much the opposite of what is done in the traditional school system. The traditional school school system is um, working like this. There's a teacher. There's an authority, a god, a ruler, a lieutenant. If you, you could use an army phrase, who is giving orders? Mm -hmm. He tells them what to learn when to learn and how to learn it. And then also how to reproduce what they not learned, but what they were like putting in their heads. And um, it's basically forming people to, you know, fit into the system to again, reproduce what is put in their heads and, um, you know, to blend in, to fit in, to wait their turn, to shut up, to be quiet, to um, be patient, to work hard, and to um, not expect too much out of life. And so we, we really flip this upside down, you know, with as radical unschoolers, it's like the other way around. We, if, if, you, if you think about the principles of natural learning, we don't have to tell anybody what they have to learn. The people know themselves. Our kids, each soul, if you don't pollute it with too, mu too much obeying and rules and sanctioning and like, um, um, you know, all of those, this bullshit, all, every soul has a unique soul plan and has unique interests, has unique gifts, talents and passions. And if we can only shut up and get um, not to um, don't are not too full of ourselves as educators thinking that we know best. But to just shut up and to try, it has, has a lot to do with trust, trusting our children and trusting souls and, and human in, in, in general, that they know what they are here for and to rather support souls in their own processes and in their own interests and support them exploring their passions and what they're, you know, what they just like to do. You can trust that there's something beautiful and very precious is coming out of, of this, um, you know, this attitude towards humanity almost. And we are facing all that comes up instantly to a lot of people brought up in the normal school system is fear. We are and you have to you have to really think about the fear that is coming up because almost everybody who can't relate to what I'm saying right now is fearing. But what if they don't want to learn? What if they don't want to learn reading or writing? What if they, and the fear is like, you, you're thinking the worst possible image of human mankind is like, they're going to become criminals. They all just want to play PlayStation. They're going to take drugs. <laughs> they're going to end up under the bridge and become criminals. That's, that's honestly what we think. If we don't guide them, if we don't give them um, 
orders all day long, they're going to become bad human beings. That's, if you to put it in drastic words, what a lot of people fear. And out of this fear, we try to control our children and humanity. Mm-hmm. So if you think about that way, how poisonous and how, how toxic in my, in my book, this kind of um, manipulative thinking is that works possibly in an army where you need ob- obedience or you can train a dog that way. And even that I would question if it's good to train a dog that way. But certainly I'm not going to train my kids in this way that they just, you know, are uh, look, they're doing things because they are afraid to, of being punished if they don't. Or they do things because they want a tap on the shoulder. And, you know, if you do and if you if you live your life coming from this background, you're afraid of punishment you know, or you 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 in in need of shoulder tapping. If you live your life, you know, with this as a fundament, you're never gonna live a happy life. It's not possible. The only way to live a happy life is if you live life based on your own inner guidance, on your own inner passions. And so this is what we're trying to do. It's really hard to put this into words, but I I maybe I was poking left and right. And as a last <laughs> thing, it doesn't mean that there are no rules. We have very specific rules and we stand up for those rules. So it doesn't mean this is without any guidance or without any rules in life. The rules are important. Kids need rules. If you don't give kids rules, they're going to push. They're going to push and get louder and louder and louder till they hit a wall. They want to know where's the wall. Whereas how far can I go? It's their right to do. So it's, you know, it's still, we still have very clear rules about, you know, about how we deal with each other and how we treat each other. But um, these are some specific rules that make sense. It's like almost like the, you know, the rules you have in the Bible. You don't harm each other and, and stuff like this. But aside from this, they have lots of freedom as well, on the other hand. And we give this freedom based on the very principal, fundamental position, and that is trust that humans and our kids and everybody is good. And um, I know a lot of people disagree, but this is our take. Very well put, my friend. Okay, one more question, Cobb, before we sign off. Any tips for the entrepreneurs that are out there building location-independent businesses that want to get to the five, six, seven-figure levels that you would uh, say to those people? It's interesting. We have not been really talking. I have yeah. not been doing a lot of talking as an entrepreneur today. It was more, I don't know, like a uh, father and um, traveler. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the, you know, we are really successful in teaching business. We have more than 1,500 students and we have created businesses on each continent, like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of businesses all around the world. I've been, t- you know, teaching and coaching hundreds of clients um, personally so far. And um, what the businesses that I, you know, this is a unique approach, the Sundance approach, if you will so. Um, But this is how I managed to create hundreds of successful businesses around the world. And my approach here is different to a lot of teach, again, different to a lot of things out there. This is my approach is that the business must be based on passion. Um, It's not the marketing approach. It's not so much the profiling or the branding it's like you know what are you here to teach what are you passionate about where do you see that you can make a difference in the world um what is your topic that you're you know that you learn about for free because you just enjoy it so much what's your thing and there's always a business just around that corner so we shouldn't be focusing too much on profit for profitability and roi and 
um, and you know what is likely to sell on the marketplace. But we must, that's my approach and it's successful. We must circle our business around what we believe in to be the right thing. And then of course also put in like, you know, a marketing strategy in place and be smart about it. But the fundament of it is not logic or, you know, market research or any of those things. It's based on passion. And if you follow that road, this is was my road to success. Um, and the you know the, the the road for many of my students as well. If you fo- follow the road of passion of um, making this also re- does result automatically in great services. We need to create great services that are in true service of what people want from us. And people will always turn to the person who is really passionate in providing an amazing service. You know, so so and people are smart. People can feel. I believe that we are much more smart than the you know society and government wants us to be, and believes us to be. Possibly even I don't know if they believe, but they certainly want us to be more dumb than we are. Um, <laughs> we feel. You feel. You you can have sitting somebody in front of you with the perfect makeup, the perfect smile in their tanned face, the perfect words pouring out of the mouth, and you just sit there and you in in your heart goes ugh. We've seen this, you know, on television, you see all these perfect messages, like, you know, polish and everything. And your inner, you know, your emotion, uh, your emotional body just is cramping. It's it's like tensing up. And then there are, there are these other messages. You just watch a YouTube video of somebody with bad hair, a shaky camera. And this person is just opening up her heart or his heart. And you can just feel a genuine, honest, caring individual You're just sharing information with you. And it's far away from being perfect, but it's honest. So my approach to sum it up is about an honest way of translating and communicating a topic you're passionate about, where you have some knowledge, and you just bring this across in the the most honest, brutally honest, authentic way. And you take into consideration some marketing techniques as well and packaging and positioning. But the fundament is really on honest, being honest, authentic and real. And this is the way to successful and not just successful, but a business that gives you happiness as well. That's my approach. Ka, I want to say thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for giving us your time. Thank you for sharing your wisdom and sharing about your family with us. We really, really appreciate it. If the listeners would like to reach out and learn more about what you do in the Sundance family and learn more about your travels and your social work, where's the best place they can find you at? Um, I think this is not the business answer I should be giving now, but I'm so passionate about my movies. So possibly if you don't know about us, you should be definitely checking us out on YouTube as I'm a very passionate artist and filmmaker. So uh, check us out on on YouTube. Um, I'm also a photographer. I love to take great photographs um, on Instagram, also Sundance Family. And you would find all of those links. And also we have free trainings and stuff on our website. So possibly, I think you're going to link it down below in the show notes. Just visit us on the SundanceFamily.com and there you're going to be linked to, you know, also our Facebook page, half a million fans on Facebook, YouTube, um, Instagram, and, you know, all the other platforms. So I think the best place is definitely our website, thesundancefamily.com. And you guys are doing um, a, a lot of social work too as you travel around and, and we can find more about that on the website too? That's that's true, yes. we. That's how we share our wealth is by giving back and also showing our kids that it's the way to do it, to give back. 
um, yes, on our website as well. We, we support and work together with different charities um, all around the world. We just uh, spent some months in, in Guatemala working with um, some indigenous people, an organization that is supporting indigenous people to break the forest of Monsanto. Just a quick sentence wow. because I'm so passionate about this. Monsanto is, is the biggest um, seed producing corporation on earth. They buy all the, all the seeds from the indigenous people, they genetically modify it and then sell it back to those people. And what they do, they genetically modify most of the seeds in a way that they don't produce seeds anymore. So this is creating a de dependency because then the farmers have to buy more seeds for the next season. You know, and they also genetically modified in a way that they you have to buy chemical Roundup to even grow those crappy, you know, GMO seeds they produced. Yeah. So this is a very toxic, um, profit-oriented, um, multi-billion-dollar industry that is putting all the indigenous people that were perfectly perfectly fine before Monsanto showed up in dependency, producing crappy new. Foods, you know, so and we work together with an organization that is um, enhancing and multiplying all those old seeds that have not been genetically modified, that don't need any roundups, that produce lots of seed. So if you give this to the indigenous people, they can, you know, it's like they help, you help those people to help themselves so that they can share more seeds in their mountain villages with the other, you know, um, tribe members and just grow basically their own food and being independent from Monsanto. So um, this is what, it's an educational program called uh, Cultiva, cultiva.org, um, a nonprofit we love to work together with. Another one is called Days for Girls. It's helping young women who became, who become women. They have the first um, moon, so the first time they bleed, they very often uh, were, are not allowed to go to school anymore. They, they're making fun of, they, you know, uh, um, so they don't go to school when they have their first period. And and there are, is there are no... Um, um, they, they cannot afford to go to a drugstore and buy, you know, um, 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 you know, things th uh, that can help them. So they, they drop out of school. This is the biggest problem in those developing countries that the, that the poor, um, women, they drop out of the school system because they bleed once a month. It's, you know, you can understand and you come from the Western world, but this is the biggest problem in the developing countries. Wow. So we work together with a, with a, a nonprofit organization that is creating out of um, cotton um, menstruation um, pads that can be, that are reusable. They can use them for three years altogether. And so the young girls can continue to get an education you know, um, because, you know, that's really, you know, and that feels like middle age to me that women are excluded from education because they bleed. That's not acceptable, you know. And so we work together with this um, organization that is providing those um, reusable menstruation kits and also education. It's about sex trafficking. It's about abuse, sexual abuse. And, and empowering them is self-defense techniques they, they give them. So those are two organizations we work together with. Another one is like planting trees, reforestation programs, because I have a bad feeling about our carbon footprint tra traveling so much. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> and many more animal shelters. We love this um, work because we are the fortunate 1% of the population. So I feel the duty to give back and to also thank you for giving me these two minutes here to just like um, pitch this to to the listeners. We are fortunate guys. It's not just about self selfishly um, um, traveling all around the world. We have to see how we can give back, um, you know, and 
So thank you for giving me this little room to also pitch this at the end of the show. <laughs> no problem, my friend. Again, Kaw, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate your time. We are honored to have you on the show and amazed at your courage and your lifestyle to blaze a new trail in this world. So thank you so much for that. Thank you, Chris. I, I really appreciate that everybody out there. Do what you love, love what you do. Thank you, guys. And listeners, thank you guys for joining us once again. We're going to sign off there, and we'll see you all on the next episode. Goodbye, everybody. Bye-bye. The Entrepreneur House is a business accelerator for established entrepreneurs. Imagine spending an extended period of time with other successful entrepreneurs working together and growing your business. Day-to-day, you interact with other driven and smart business people. Spending an extended period of time around them alters your business and your mentality around business. Goals are set, business grows, new partnerships develop, greater profit margins are achieved, the productivity skyrockets for the attendees, and you'll get to have an incredible adventure while doing it. This year, our main event will be held in Chiang Mai, Thailand. It is four weeks from October 26th to November 24th, 2017. It will be full of workshops, masterminds, and co-working spaces. Be sure to check out the details at theentrepreneurhouse.com as soon as possible. For those of you that are interested and have some questions, don't hesitate to contact us, theentrepreneurhouse.com. We will respond as soon as we can. For now, saludos from somewhere in the world.